As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman, back with another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. Going to be talking a lot of Olympics today and then a really good mailbag from you guys. We're going to get to all of that in a minute, but uh, Corey, first of all, we had a little bit of news this week on the World Junior front and the potential for an August uh, make-up date for that tournament. Yeah, I, and while it's not official yet, it, it, it got the hockey world talking when the IIHF president, Luke Tardif, uh, mentioned in an interview with Russian news outlet uh, that uh, that DIIHF is targeting an August date to re-host the World Juniors. Uh, that is in line with what I've heard from several people around hockey, uh, that it will be in August in Alberta again. Um, and, it, and obviously that would you know, be quite unorthodox. That's usually when we have, we usually have U20 camps around that time of year. Usually it's the camps in, in Plymouth uh, with various nations, which are competitive and fun, but they're not for, for gold medals. Um, and, and this would be, you know, a rather unique time to be having a, a major double IHF tournament. Yeah, and it's going to come obviously after the draft. And so I think that's uh, something that, you know, it'll be a chance to see your newly drafted prospects if you're a team, some of your, probably some of your top prospects uh, if, if sure. they're at the World Juniors. Um, but yeah, it's at a time that's usually a little bit quieter on the calendar if, in, it, you know, depending on when it is. I think I heard kind of the earlier part of August. Um, you know, that's a time when you, you might expect to be on vacation. So, uh, don't make any, any too big of plans right now. Well, not for me, usually. That's usually when I'm doing like the Holinka and, and the World Juniors World Showcase and that kind of stuff. I think what will be really interesting with this tournament, should it actually happen, because it's not official by any means. Um, one, yes, it happens after the draft. So, yeah, I'll be really interested to see how much the, the public reaction is uh, to that. When you draft a guy and three weeks later, he's having an amazing or not so amazing uh, tournament. Uh, that'll be fun. Uh, but what will be really interesting to me is how, how many of the top players that we saw at the tournament in December will actually be there in August. The guys who have reasonable chances to make NHL rosters in the fall. You know, I'm thinking of Owen Power, Matthew Beniers, Cole Perfetti, Mason McTavish, William Eklund, uh, and several others who I probably skimmed over. I do wonder, I could see, you know, just based on, you know, 
you know, so there's, I'm sure by some you know, odds, some will, will end up going there, but I can see pretty decent odds too that, it, that some of them don't. Um, just whether it's their own personal decision or the team that they, the NHL team they play for just says, you know, don't risk it because, you know, hey, hey, Owen Power, like we expect you to play 20, 22 minutes a night for us next season and we're not risking you getting injured in a junior tournament in August. Yeah, and it also opens up the possibility for something, someone like Thomas Bordalo, who seemed like he was going to miss this tournament because of COVID, to potentially, is he now get a chance to come back and, and actually get to play in this tournament after it looked like he wasn't going to be able to? Or the poor guy gets to test positive for a third time. Don't, Corey, don't <laughs> even do that. Don't go there. I'm knocking on wood. Sharks fans, don't worry. I got your back. Um, but yes, a lot of really interesting. And, and how do they handle the games that did actually take place al- already at, at the previous World Juniors? All these are still open questions. Yeah, they haven't answered that question. The big One of the big questions is about eligibility because this is an age-specific tournament. Uh, they've said that all the same players that are eligible for the December tournament will be eligible for this one. But in terms of the games that took place, especially the games that were forfeited, uh, they have to resolve those questions. Yeah, so those are those are obviously the remaining questions, as is still, you know, the actual firm date. We don't have that yet. It's not official, but um, that is the latest. And I'm really regretting, you know, you teed me up for a really perfect transition into our main topic today by talking about Owen Power, uh, who whether or not he plays uh, in in the new World Juniors, the, the rescheduled World Juniors, whenever that happens, uh, he is going to play at these Olympic Games. Um, and, and so we can just transition right now into that conversation. Maybe I should have said Maddie Beneers because I want to start uh, with, with Team USA here and, and kind of the expectations that you have for them in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think they're a good team. Uh, I, obviously, Russia is the favorite um, going into the tournament. That just because you know, typically for among European nations, the best players, a lot of best the best Russians stay in Russia outside of the guys who clearly play. You know, top nine. Or so, you know, forward and or regular defense shift um, in the NHL. Whereas for a lot of like good Swedes, good Finns, a lot a lot of the guys sometimes will be taxi squad guys in the NHL or or play in the American League, so on and so forth. Uh, so Russia has you know a very deep roster for the for this level of tournament. Uh, you know, they were the, they obviously won four years ago when the NHLers didn't go. You have some players returning from that tournament. You have players who played in the NHL recently, such as Nikita Gusev. Um, and you also have, you know, some pretty good young players, too, that will, you know, are top prospects uh, for the respective NHL organizations, like uh, Columbus's Dmitry Voronkov and Carolina's Alexander Nikishin. Um, you know, other guys who have formerly played in the NHL, like like, Nest, like Nestorov, uh, who, who played for various teams. Uh, you know, I just – they seem like the team to beat. But for, for the United States – they're the most exciting team when it comes from an NHL perspective. Because, I mean, you can easily imagine um, 10 plus guys from this team playing NHL games. Doesn't mean they're going to have long NHL careers, but I think you, you know, never mind. Obviously, they have the lottery guys like like Matthew Beneers, Jake Sanderson, who are, who are going to have long NHL careers. But you've got plenty of mid round picks on this team, guys who are maybe picked even higher than that, guys who are looking very good in college and look like they're on the NHL trajectory. You know, you think of like Toronto's Matthew Nyes or Winnipeg's Nathan Smith, who are having excellent years. You know, uh, you you look at guys, some of the Harvard guys like Abrazizi and Farrell. Uh, you have guys like Drew Hellison and Brendan Brisson and Noah uh, Cates. No, Noah. Yep, Noah Cates. Brock Faber. I was particularly mentioning Hellison, Brisson, Faber because they were on the last World Junior Gold Medal team, uh, and they played notable roles. All, all three of them on that team. Um, and in goal, you know, don't have as much flash, but you have Drew Kamesso there. Probably not going to play that much. Chicago, uh, Chicago pick, and you have Strauss Mann, who was not signed by an NHL team because as a small goaltender, has been very good in Europe, very good in college. This is an opportunity for him, Ben Myers, Mark McLaughlin, potentially to earn NHL contracts. Well, that's one of the places that I wanted to go is was Strauss Mann. So, you know, if, if he ends up getting a, a a large role here, and let's say that that he does pretty well, let's say he he's maybe not the very best goaltender in the tournament, um, but up there and, and proves that he can handle himself against teams like the Russians, teams like Canada that have some NHL caliber talent up there. How much do you think in an NHL team's eyes does that boost his uh, his signability? It does because I mean, when you're when you're that small and you're not like elite elite quickness, a uh, small goalie. The question NHL evaluators have is how does that translate to the higher levels? How will that translate to the American League, never mind the National Hockey League? And if you're playing against 
players of that caliber and you're faring well, it at least answers some of those questions. It doesn't answer it completely because these are, these are not NHL teams he's playing against. It's only going to be a couple of games. Uh, but I think if he has a really strong tournament, particularly given that he's playing very well in Europe versus men already, uh, it will um, ease some concerns. But as a small goalie, he still will have an uphill battle to actually becoming an NHL player. So you mentioned Jake Sanderson right off the top, and he's not with the team just yet after testing positive for COVID. We do expect and certainly hope that he's going to join them um, pretty quick here. Um, he, we expect him to be the number one defenseman on this team. Where, where does he slot in there? Top pair? Yeah, I think between, it's him and Camfer. It's going to be the, the top two guys. Uh, be, uh, we're recording this a couple of days early, so it's possible by the time this post that he may actually already be with the team. But uh, I, I think signs are hopeful that he's going to rejoin the team after being put in COVID protocol a couple of days ago. Um, yeah, I think even though he's a teenager, Sanderson's going to play a ton of minutes for this team. Uh, just because, you know, he skates like a pro. He's big. He's physical. Uh, you know, he probably could play with the Ottawa Sanders right now. I mean, that's kind of where, where his game is. Um, so, I mean, they have other good defensemen. Like, I like Faber. I like Hellison. But I mean, Sanderson's going to have to carry the load here. I think this is one of the advantages that Team USA has is, is they're going to give up a lot in, in the way of experience. But what they have is guys who, you know, we haven't seen them do it. And obviously, if we had, they wouldn't be here because they'd be in the AHL and, and not uh, going to the Olympics. But multiple guys here in Canada has a little bit of this too, just not quite as much. But but guys who, you know, you could really say Jake Sanderson, you know, for all we know, he could have come into the NHL this year and been uh, a Calder Trophy candidate. And, and that's the kind of player that the kind of talent level at this tournament that I think you, you get two or three of those guys to hit. It really raises your profile as a team. It really raises what you can do. Yeah. And, and USA are going to rely on these guys. Like, I don't know how much Canada's going to rely on Mason McTavish, for example, even though I love Mason McTavish. They have just a really, you know, strong veteran roster there. Um, but for the United States, I mean, this is a this is a kids roster. It's not like the college rosters we're used to seeing, like from like the eighties or seventies. Um, but uh, you know, this is this is a roster that's built on very young players, um, players who, for a large part, are still in college. So whether it is going to be Sanderson or Matthew Beniers, um, or, or you know Drew Hellison and Brock Faber or, or Brendan Brisson or, or Matthew Nyes. Uh, you know, a lot of these kids are going to be given big roles on this team. Um, and if it, and if they don't produce, they're not going to go very far. Absolutely. So, I mean, the, the lines that I saw, this is from Stephen Wino from the AP. Corey, you tell me if you've heard different from this. Um, it looked like in, in the USA scrimmage, they had Beneers with Nyes and, and Nathan Smith on a line. That to me strikes me as uh, maybe the most dangerous line the U.S. will have. Yeah, because you've got a combination of skill and grit there. Uh, you know, I, you know, Nyes is a you know, big, hardworking guy with, with, with good hands. Uh, Nathan Smith is a really like purely skilled playmaker. And then Beniers kind of has like the skill and the, the speed and the, and the compete elements down the middle. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a lot of positives there. I wonder with Nyes, I mean, he was obviously drafted just this last year. He's a freshman in college. He, he was a late birthday, but he, he was not an overager uh, per se. Let's say he goes to this tournament and, and he really holds his own. We've seen Toronto in the past with Nick Robertson be willing to let a guy kind of come into their lineup and play. Those circumstances are a little different because signing Nick Robertson didn't take him out of college. You can still go back to the OHL in that circumstance. But timeline-wise, what would a successful tournament here for Matthew Nyes um, mean for for his timeline, I guess, to the NHL? I would still imagine he needs one more year of college. Um, But he's definitely a guy on the rise after being, I think, a late second-round pick last year too. Um, what he's how good he's been with Minnesota. Um, probably wouldn't say he's one of the, like a top player in college hockey, which I think is where you want guys to go before you sign them. Um, but he's been you know, very good. Looked good with the U twenty team both in the summer and, the, and in December. And, and now you know he'll play at this level. I think for NHL, I think you you still are kind of hoping they not not probably aren't penciling him into the Leafs lineup just yet. Um, but I think if you're a Leafs fan, you're you're optimistic about his development for sure. Anything else kind of in this roster that you think hasn't gotten the shine? I think people obviously probably not as familiar with Nathan Smith unless you follow college hockey where he's been uh, one of the top players, one of the top scorers all year. Anyone else that you think will maybe put to themselves uh, maybe a little bit more in, into as a household name in this tournament? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, household names are, you know, we'll see. I, I you know, the, the, the Abrazizi Brisson Henchies line is, is interesting, especially seeing Brisson playing the middle. We'll see whether that actually sticks or not. I've never actually seen him play the middle consistently. Um, but that would be a lot of skill. Abrazizi and Abrazizi are, are highly skilled. Sam Henchies is, uh, you know, competitive forward with, with, with good speed. We kind of get on the four check for them. Uh, those are those are guys who I think other than Brisson for just because he's a first round pick and because of his father, obviously people know about him. But Abrazizi and, and Sam Hengis would would be guys people don't know that much about. Yeah, I'm curious to see Brisson how he holds up to the pace of the game as well. I think everyone sure. knows he's a shooter, but I think that's kind of the question is, is can he play as the pace rises? But um, he's having a great year at Michigan, and I think a big tournament for him too here would would go a long way. And, and obviously Vegas fans are excited about him no matter what. Yep, I agree. All right. Let's. Uh, anything else you want to say on Team USA before we take a quick break and uh, get into Canada and the rest of the field? Uh, I think the only thing on Team USA will be interesting is how much the college free agents uh, get. I'm particularly Ben Myers. He's considered the, the consensus top college free agent. Uh, looks like he'll start on the fourth line right now, um, having a very nice year in Minnesota. Um, and I know there's a lot of interest around the NHL for him. Um, I, that interest will, will maintain whether he has a good tournament or not. Uh, but I think uh, for NHL fans, it'd be interesting to see, you know, if he has, if he plays well, how much kind of that hype machine builds for him over the course of the tournament. Absolutely. Well, it should be a fun tournament for the U.S. Uh, let's take a quick break and we'll come right back with Canada and, and the rest of the field. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, let's dive back in here with Canada. And, and at the very top, you know, it's a couple of guys that went in the top three uh, of last year's draft. We don't know if they're going to play at the very top of the lineup, although we do expect Owen Power will. But he and Mason McTavish, probably the, maybe the two most interesting players um, on Team Canada. We kind of Let's start with Power because the story here is he, you expect him to play a huge role. You expect him to anchor this blue line. Yeah, I mean, he did that at the World Championships last spring. Um, he didn't start off in that kind of role, but eventually he he built his way to that. And now he's a year older, and then this roster arguably isn't as strong as that World Championship roster. Um, and you know, I think Power is going to you know play a ton at this tournament in all situations. And if Ken is going to have any success, it's going to be because um, you know he he was excellent. And obviously, if anybody watched those World Junior games, he was so good at those games. Uh, which is interesting because I found I'm not sure how much of the Michigan games you've watched lately, but I haven't like you know I thought he started off really really hot this season, and like the last month or so I haven't found like his Michigan games to like be like all that like you know he's been really good, but you know I went to a couple of them I watched them on video I haven't thought that he's been like all that you know dominant in some recent weeks, but uh, you know, obviously you get top elite prospect guy with who's whenever he's played with hockey can now for the last 12 months has been excellent. Um, so I expect he will be, you know, one of the top defensemen in the tournament. Yeah. And I think the world championship performance last year is really the, the telling thing, right? I, I don't know if you consider the the overall um, level of competition here to be maybe marginally higher or lower than that world championships, but I expect it to be close to the similar level. And if he was one of Canada's best players there, you expect him to be um, one of the best players in the, in the entire tournament here. Right. Keep in mind, there were NHL players who went to that tournament. Yeah. It wasn't the, the usual amount, but there were NHL players at that tournament. Yeah. And, and so I, I think, you know, if, if, uh, if anything, he could have maybe even a bigger um, Im- impact now at the Olympic Games. Uh, Mason McTavish is an interesting one. I think I, I saw Josh Clipperton of the Canadian Press tweeted out uh, a set of lines from a scrimmage that had him on a line uh, with Eric Stahl and Josh Hosang, which if that is how they choose to deploy <laughs> Mason McTavish – uh, he could score a lot in this tournament. We'll see whether it actually works out that way. We'll see whether they want to play him at any center. But that's going to be an interesting one. 
Those are three very different players, too. <laughs> but a balanced line, right? Like, it, it's a real consci- defensive conscience, two-way conscience with Eric Stahl. He and Mason McTavish can both score goals and bring some physicality. Josh Hosang's got a whole lot of skill. Skill and speed. And, uh, you know, it's been interesting to see Hosang's development, too. Whenever I've watched him as a prospect, um, love the skill and the speed. Um, decision-making, always questionable. Uh, frustrate was frustrating at times and dominating at other times. So I'll be really interested to see how he does here. But for Mason McTavish, um, a guy who I expect will be a full-time player with the Ducks rather soon and, and is having an excellent season. And I believe this is already, I think, his sixth team he's playing for this season between uh, the American League, the National Hockey League, two OHL teams, and the World Junior Team. Um, it's just, a, just another week for Mason McTavish playing on the top, potentially top two lines for Canada. Um, you know, as a, as a you know a very young player, I believe he's eight, he's either nineteen or or eighteen. He's probably on like probably on the periphery right now. Um, probably not expecting him to be like, dominant at this tournament. You know, a, a tournament with men. But given that he's a good skater, he's competitive, he's big to go with his great skill. I mean, I do think he can be. You know, he could definitely help Canada out and, and be a scoring presence for them. I like the note that you had. You had a really good piece up in your players to watch, and I'd recommend everybody go read that. Um, for the Olympic tournament, but I, I thought you made a good point about his pace, which which you liked at the World Juniors, and and if he can do that versus men consistently, what that would mean for kind of his NHL projection, because he brings such a strong package. Like if you can do all that at at, at speed, it really raises you even one more level. Yeah, like I was not a hundred percent buying him as a third overall pick when the Ducks made the selection, based on what I've seen from him in the OHL and at the U eighteen Worlds. Um, but watching him uh, this season, I, you know, he looks. He looks like a hell of a player. Yeah, absolutely. The other guy on this team in Canada, you know, has a couple of obviously high-end young players, but a little maybe more veteran group. Um, but but I thought you made the note in, in your article, Jack McBain, um, obviously Minnesota prospect, uh, senior, potential uh, target here for some teams who think they may be able to swoop in there? Yeah, I mean, people I talk to around the NHL think that McBain will eventually sign with the Wild. He is a senior at Boston College, having a very good year for – uh, at, at Boston College, but you know, he, you know, if he doesn't sign, he can go to August, become an NHL free agent. One thing of note that I found interesting, even though people around the NHL I talk to do think McBain will sign with the Wild, is there have been a lot of decision makers, you know, meaning like you know NHL executives coming in to watch Boston College um, in in recent months, and people believe one of those reasons, on top of just following their own prospects, is to keep an eye on McBain. So I, I don't know what's what's his future lies ahead of him for over the next couple of months, but I do know people around the league are watching him. It'd be, I mean, you think of Minnesota as a team that for so long has has really wanted centers. So the idea of a center slipping away from them, right, as he you know makes the Olympic team and all that would, would kind of be a little bit of a cruel twist. Although they have had a little bit of luck uncovering a couple pretty strong centers here recently with Erickson Eck and Hartman, but nevertheless... Uh, something to watch. Where do you think McVeigh slots? I know in the lines that from from the scrimmage that uh, Josh Clipperton tweeted out, it looked like he was skating as an extra. But if he gets into the lineup, you know, it seems like kind of a bottom six profile. Yeah, just because you know probably doesn't have tremendous speed and skill to like play that high in the lineup, but but big and physical. He has at least some touch, so maybe you could see him as like a fourth line penalty kill type. Yeah, I mean, you teased, you know, Russia is obviously the favorite of this tournament um, because obviously they they have this this group of uh, veteran talent that plays in the KHL. But there are at least a few prospects here worth watching. Uh, you know, toward the top of the list, Arseny Gritsyuk. I want to say that right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, Gritsyuk, mid round pick by the Devils a couple of years ago. Uh, having a very good year in the KHL, scoring at a pretty significant rate for a 20-year-old. A small player, but very skilled, very intelligent. He can shoot the puck very well. I think his skating is just okay. Um, what I've seen him over the years for a small guy, some people I've talked to recently think the skating has improved. I personally haven't seen that in the little I've watched this year, but I'll be, I'll be watching that with him. Um, as, as he's already, he is skating, I believe, on the second or the third line right now for Russia. So it seems like he'll get a prominent role. Um, the other forward of note would be Dmitry Voronkov, a Columbus draft who has been, um, you know, excellent with Russia's in, a national team over the last couple of years. He was very good at the World Championships uh, last spring, for example. Big, powerful forward with with good hands. Um, his feet are kind of the big issue for the NHL, but I think here he'll just like as he usually has over the last couple of years. Um, I think he'll make an important impact 
for Russia. And the last prospect I would want to highlight would be Alexander Nikishin, uh, a defenseman, 20-year-old defenseman who was drafted by the Carolina Hurricanes and is currently skating on the top pair uh, with Nikita Nesterov. Um, yeah, I, I see you know, he's a big mobile defenseman. He's showing some offensive touch this season. Uh, looks like a very intriguing prospect that I know some scouts I've talked to uh, are, are quite high on as a potential NHL player. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he does um, and if he can maintain that kind of high role as a young defenseman throughout the tournament. Nikishin, a Carolina prospect, third round pick. Carolina has done really quite some kind of job in, in recent years yeah. finding guys who seem to pop. Well, he was a unique case because I think everybody knew he was a good player, but uh, team he had a, a medical flag uh, during his draft evaluation process that scared a lot of teams off. Um, and I think Carolina just Carolina knew about it. I don't think they had any extra information. I think they just t- took the risk, and and at least so far, it seems to be going in a positive direction. I want to touch on the Slovaks before we, we wrap on the Olympic conversation here because you know we don't know exactly how they're going to be at this tournament. We do know they have two potential, I'd even say likely, top 10 picks on their roster, and Yuri Slavkovsky and Simon Nemitz. Do you have a feel for what kind of role either of those two is going to play? What would constitute a, you know, a, a successful tournament for those two guys? Well, when both of them played the Olympic qualifiers in the summer for Slovakia, they didn't really play big roles. So I'm not expecting them to play high in the lineup, top six forward, top four defensemen. That doesn't seem realistic to me right now. Um, but it is a half season of development later for, for 17 year olds. That matters a lot. Um, so we'll see where they are, you know, if they perform well in, 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 if, if limited minutes, if I'm sure they, they would increase them. Um, both very talented players on a Slovakian roster that's not going to be exactly you know deep and high end skill, um, but I think for seventeen year olds, eighteen year olds at at the Olympics, uh, I think expectations need to be measured. Uh, and if they even just do anything of note, uh, have any kind of reasonable impact, I think that would be a success. Any other notes on on the rest of the field here before I uh, steer us into the mailbag? Uh, no, I mean I. From what I've watched through the international tournaments uh, this year for the national teams, um, I would think among the teams we haven't mentioned, I think the Finland group is quite strong. Uh, their their national team group in general, I would say, is um, you know is is right in terms of like the the non Canada USA contingent. The North Amer- I think they're probably the second best team behind uh, Russia. And Finland, obviously, international tournaments always seems to find a way to uh, whether it's knock somebody out early that uh, just by playing a really tight, clean game or make a little bit of a run. They're they're a threat, uh, no matter the tournament, no matter the level. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back with what I think is one of our better mailbag segments in a while. So stay tuned for that. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Corey, let's get to the mailbag. I think one of the best ones we've had uh, in some time. This one's from John Sebastian G, which I can only assume is Jaguar. How you doing, sir? Uh, he wants to know why Jonathan Lekaramaki uh, from Your Garden is uh, not more widely considered a top 10 talent based on his production in the SHL and the J20 and for a guy who's got a later birthday. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Uh, Lekaramaki, as he said, is having a very productive year. Um, seems to score almost every game he plays in, whether it's the pro or the junior level or international level. Um, highly skilled player, creative, has an elite shot. Uh, I would say in terms of the range, um, there's a couple of factors. One is the size. Um, two, good, not great skater. Um, I would say generally two in the draft that wingers don't get valued as highly especially if they are not, you know, 
big or they are not elite skaters um, or they aren't just, you know, just destroying it statistically. Like you look at like a guy like, you know, Kim Kamel, who has slowed down a little bit of late, but, but, but his production to go with a strong compete level, I'd say higher than Lekaramaki's, um, a little bit bigger too, maybe like an inch or so, um, has kept him in the top 10, whereas Lekaramaki is probably more like early teens right now if the draft is being held today. So I think those are the variables working against him. I do know some NHL teams who love this guy, who who do think he is in the top 10 mix. Um, but I'd say most kind of view him as a teens candidate right now in, in favor of, you know, centers or and defensemen that they would have ahead of him. If he sticks up with this production in, in the SHL where he's been playing more recently, I mean, he could conceivably get into that top 10, though, by the end of the season, it sounds like. Yeah, I think the U18 Worlds will be a big variable there. Um, I think his Hulk Gretzky was pretty good. It wasn't amazing. If he goes to the U18 Worlds and is truly a top player there, I, I think he'll he, he could start putting himself solidly in that discussion. All right. Next one is from Kyle M, who uh, says Fluto, our colleague Fluto Shinzawa uh, from Boston, says Fluto wrote an article about the Bruins seemingly not being very high on Stadnika. In spite of the team's weak prospect pool, could you see them making a move for a 2C given his struggles? Or do you think they'll allow Stadnika to develop and give him a chance with the big club next year? Yeah. So Stadnika was a guy that I, I've written positive reports about you know, in prior years. Um, especially after that big first pro year where I think he was like nearly a point a game, looked very good in Providence. Um, hasn't been so good lately. Um, I would say just my opinion and those of NHL scouts I've talked to are not overly high on him. Maybe he could be a third, fourth line forward. Um, but so-so skater, I think, has, has um, been the issue with him at the NHL level. So I think in terms of if you want a center for the playoff run, I don't think it's him. I think you would need to go externally, um, you know, and the candidates, probably not my area forte, you know, whether it's Claude Giroux or or, or some of the other options out there that, that, could, that could be acquired. Um, I don't think Stendika would be that guy. Well, and and obviously, if, you, if you're the Bruins and, and you're trying to acquire a 2C, it's because you're trying to do something here while you have this, you know, veteran core together. I don't think it necessarily has to have a huge bearing on what they think of Stadnika if they want to do this, right? Like, it's do you want to go get a Giroux, a Tomas Hurdle, because you think you can, if you get him, you can make a serious push for another Stanley Cup while you still have Patrice Bergeron and, as of recently, Tuka Rask? Yeah, like I said, I just meant like... I think if you're going to add to your team, it's going to be externally, not internally. They probably don't have that player such as Stanika to come in and, and help the team immediately. Right. In the mold that like an Anton Lindell has for Florida. Yeah. I was going to say, or it's going to the next question, like whether a guy like say Matthew Boldy who could come up mid season and help your team. An excellent transition. Charles W. wants to know what Boldy has to do to realistically enter the Calder conversation and if it's possible that he can. I think it is. He's so, only played 10, 10, 11 games so far, and that's his he's starting at a game's disadvantage. But I think it's still possible. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big nerd about this stuff. I, I will go right to the definition of the Calder Trophy, and nobody ever does. Nobody ever listens to me about this point, so I feel like I'm like a broken record about this. But the Calder Trophy says – it is presented to the player selected as the most proficient in his first year of competition. It does not say the most valuable rookie. It does not say who had the most productive season as a rookie. It says the most proficient. So, and, and you can use, you can say, well, he's only played whatever, 15 games and, you know, Raymond and Zegras and Zyder played this many games, uh, you know, or and Lundell and, or Jarvis, so on and so forth. And, you know, I, because they played 50 games or 60 games, that's better evidence for me that, that he's the most proficient at his position um, in his first season. But uh, I think, you know, if Boldy's playing a point a game, you know, a year, like 20, 30 games into the year, to me, that would be a strong argument um, based on how the reading of the Calder Trophy is in terms of what voters are supposed to do. But I know what voters actually do, which is they – Go to NHL.com, they sort the rookies by points, and then they vote in that order. So I am not very optimistic he will win the call. I trophy. think that's a little unfair. I think that a little more thought goes into it than that. Uh, I do I believe a lot of people put more thought into it, but if you look at what the actual results are for this for for the Norris, for the for the for the heart, and for the and for and for the Calder, it usually goes that way. <laughs> I think that's fair, but it's also partly because I think there is does tend to be a correlation between the rookies who are the most proficient and the most effective and the ones who score a lot. Like I don't think it's I don't think one means the other. 
I don't, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that's wrong. But I, I'm going to be defensive I, here over my writer friends for a minute. <laughs> but I would imagine that the Calder Trophy will be the top five players ranked in order, barring any kind of goalie votes, such as the Delkovich. I, and that's another case because he already was a finalist last year, and I, I do wonder how that factors in for him. Um, what I'll say about Boldy, though, is I, I agree with you. I think if he can keep up what he's done so far over the final 40 or so games of the season, he's going to have a really compelling case because it's not just going to be about points. It's going to be as a really complete two-way winger who has a big impact on the game, both on the score sheet and away from the puck. With the Hart Trophy, like it's not really a great argument in my opinion, but like whether they're on a good team usually comes into effect. Like why not with the, with the Calder trophy, you have Lundell and him now and Boldy who are playing significant roles on top teams. Uh, you know, I, I'm trying not to trigger, you know, your readers too much, but should that matter more than like for Sider or Raymond or Zegers and Anaheim who are Anaheim at least in kind of in a playoff race. Detroit's been a lot better than we expected, but probably not in a playoff race. You know, if Lundell is playing the way he is and Florida's, the best team in the NHL, President's Trophy winner by the end. If Boldy's a second or first line forward on a team that ends up being the first, second, or third best team in the West, um, you know, is that not a strong argument in their favor? I think it can be a strong argument. I think you'll also get some people who would tell you they're playing with really good players, that they're in a little bit easier environment, and and that would. Infl- I mean, I think you could look at it probably both ways. I think you would get people yeah. who would tell it to you both ways. You could look at it both ways, but I think the way I looked at it was right. And you usually are. So uh, we will leave it at that. But I think Boldy's still very much alive in the conversation. Um, This one was from an email question. And I do want to remind people that that this is an option, although I never have before. So I can't say remind. But we do have an email that we discovered um, because of this question. So uh, thank you, first of all, to uh, Alex uh, Pobosek, I think it is, maybe Pobacek. Uh, for discovering this email for us. And now we can tell all of you that if you want to email a question in and dodge the whole uh, Twitter or uh, The Athletic uh, real-time way to ask us these questions, you can go to uh, email us at theathletichockeyshow at gmail.com. And as we now know, it'll find its way to us. So without uh, dragging that along any further, uh, Alex wants to know about how you keep track of your scouting reports. She says, I assume, or he, uh, they, they say you, they assume you have to keep track of multiple prospects while watching games. So do you just take notes and sort it out later? Do you make individual entries into player profiles? Is there a program you use? How do you do it? Uh, that's a good question. And the answer to that question has evolved over time. Um, I used to very diligently take notes on whatever game I was watching. I uh, usually just, you know, be punching into either a notebook on, on paper or a spreadsheet on my computer. Um, every, like, every little note that I was taking, um, over the course of a game, um, and, and the various games I would watch, um, in, in a given day. Um, uh, that process has changed for me, um, as technology has changed. Um, I would say when I'm watching a game now, I'm really just watching the game. I'm, I take a couple of notes. The notes I'm taking are usually not on tools or, or like very specific sky report kind of things is usually things that I need to go back and watch later or things that I thought were very interesting that I need to remember for, for a later time. Uh, but I'm at a point in my life now where, um, I watch just like a shit ton of hockey. And, um, I usually know a lot of players very well, typically in a given game I'm watching. Obviously, you're watching new players all the time. Um, but like, I'm not, like, if I turn on a US NTDP game, I'm not taking notes on these players. I've seen them all dozens of times by, by now. So, but, but, and you're building off that just every single time you're, you're building off that. Um, there'll be, you know, whether I'm watching full games some days or some days you're just watching shifts on players. Um, so I typically understand these players rather well. The way I keep it sorted is usually I do have a spreadsheet where I have all the tool grades inputted into there for, for every player. Um, so I can keep track of where I have these players rated um, based on their tool grades. Um, we have a, a master spreadsheet where I have all the reports in on all the players with all the tool grades as well um, for, for varying age groups. Um, that's the best way I could describe it. I would say the process has evolved from me to diligently taking notes every time I watch hockey to understanding players, um, you know, in a more intensive level, even before I go into watching full games and then using the, the games to kind of broaden my understanding, if that makes sense. Here's my follow-up. If you were talking to someone who was getting started – 
would you recommend that they still start the way that you did by diligently taking notes or kind of skip that step and go more to what you've been doing now? Um, I think you want to start probably start taking notes. It, it, it helps for me that I can know I, you know, I've watched so much hockey at varying levels that I, you know, I'm wrong a lot, but I can, I feel like I can probably watch a given game and identify skating skill levels and put grades on guys or, you know, rather routinely. Um, you know, for me, you know, now when I'm watching games, I, I'm trying to just, you know, focus in on a couple of things, questions on certain players that I have. Like I'll go into an NTP game. I'm like, okay, it's Cutter Gauthier's sense good or an issue or an average or like you know, things things that I'll be debating going into the into the game about certain players um as opposed to trying to understand all these players right away um but yeah I think if you're if you're starting and you don't really know what good skating is or I mean you do but you don't feel comfortable saying it without a without a shadow of a doubt uh, I would think say writing down your thoughts in general is, is usually a practice to help remember things and for someone starting out, the more you do it, the more you're in rinks, the more you're meeting people, you're also going to run into whether it be scouts or other people who you trust, uh, who you can bounce these ideas off of yeah. at some point. Yeah. And I think for me, the reason why I just don't do that anymore is um, if you're at a game, I think you want to be focused on the game. I think uh, too often, if you're focused on your writing notes, you you miss things because the, ga- the game doesn't stop for you because you need to write something down. Uh, and too often... Uh, just you'll be distracted by your notes or especially if you're doing it on a computer um, and and you'll miss what's going on all around you and, and the context of the environment and and so on and so forth. Yeah, that's a good point. All right, uh, moving on to one from Grimlock L who says, Zegris has been a highlight reel machine this year. The over the net pass, the Michigan in motion, most recently uh, the highlight reel dodgeball goal <laughs> at the all-star skills competition. He said, he's executing plays I've never seen before and his puck control looks amazing. I appreciate that you had Zegers ranked fourth in your midseason U23 rankings. I'm confused by your NHL average uh, rating on his puck skills. To his eye, it seems high-end, maybe even pushing elite. Could you speak about your evaluation of Zegers' puck skills? What are you seeing that he's not? I appreciate this question. It's one I've gotten a lot. And I also appreciate that Grimlock was kind enough to mention that I actually do really like Trevor Zegers. Uh, it's apparently become news to me that I don't like Trevor Zegers. Um, that's not been the case for, for quite some time. Um, uh, so that was news to me. But um, I think his question is fair. Um, like I guess the reason why I always felt like, when, especially when I was watching Zegers as a junior, a junior being when he was in NTP and then with, with Boston University, and then even that first year in the American League, I always found like the skill level was really high, but I always found like, the way his game generated offense, I was thought through his passing and his creativity. I, I thought he's the, he's one of the best passers I've ever seen. Um, whereas I think like, compared to like a guy like Kent Johnson, I think it's the opposite. I don't think he's a great passer, but his pure like hands skill, the way he makes guys miss one on one, is is really elite. Um, that being you know when I've watched Zegers in junior and college, he showed great hands and stick handling, but I always thought the offense was generated just through his insane vision. Improvisation ability. Um, that being said, watching him, particularly in the NHL this season, um, he has been creating a lot with his puck handling to go with the incredible playmaking. So I, I can concede that I might have been a little harsh on that one. Maybe it should be NHL above average, maybe even high end. And I suspect by the time my next rating comes out, um, that that aspect will be ranked higher. Another way to kind of put that, I guess, is that is the reason that he pulls off these highlight reel plays because he's the only guy who can do them or because he knows the timing of when to do them and how, and kind of where to pull them off to, to do them where he can actually pull them off. Yeah. Like, I always like for me, it's, it's great if it looks flashy, but I always find with puck handle with puck skills, I only give you the highest, highest grades if you actually beat the guy to create the chance while you do it. Uh, you know, I found like when I was watching Lucas Raymond, for example, as a junior, he does that like so often, like his he created so many highlight reel goals and chances through his stick handling. And that's something I just never saw as Zegers as a junior. He's not a junior anymore. He is in the NHL, the 20-year-old. And uh, I will probably adjust accordingly. 
I mean, so like how many players do you think in the league, I, I would guess a, a fairly high number are able to pick the puck up in the fashion that he does, whether it's to do the Michigan or to throw it over the net. But there is a boldness, there's a creativity, there's a smartness to know when you can do it and actually pull it off. Basically. That point is very fair. I think a lot, like you said, a lot of players can do, I don't think everyone could do the Michigan with the timing. That is a skill thing yeah, to do. Especially in motion. Yep. But, I, but I think like the alley-oop thing is less a skill thing and more a brain thing in my opinion. I think that's a good way to put it. Um, either way, he is one of the most sensational electrifying players in the league. And Corey thinks so too. Don't worry. That's why he ranked him as highly as he did. Uh, Nicholas K, do you think there's enough talent come to the pipeline for Detroit to become contenders, though certainly not favorites, without hitting the lottery or getting someone like Savoy Geeky to exceed their draft slot? I don't know if he means like to fall in the draft or just like become better than whatever you would get at wherever you pick those I, I think guys. he's trying to say like they're like predicted like a six to 10 guys and. And, and they turn out to be like top five caliber players kind of top thing. three or whatever. Yeah. Right. Uh, he says centers of barren wasteland in the Red Wings prospect system. He'd rather have another free fall into the lottery than spend eight years as a prank of the bubble team. Okay. So now you're leading the witness Nicholas, but Corey, what do you think? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's tough for me. I think to look at the, the organization as it is right now and say, this is a Stanley cup team. You know, it's just with, with presuming best case scenarios for all the prospects. Like Evanson's a top pair guy, Raymond continues to develop into a star. Uh, you know, Larkin stays and is continues to be very good. Verona stays and, and, and is very good. Nadelkovich stays. Maybe Kosa comes in and is good. I think if all those things happen, you will have a very good team. Um, in terms of a contender, it's tough for me to imagine them not adding at least even if it's not another center, another like really premium forward into that group, I think you're close. I don't think they're far off. I mean, I, you look at the years of Sider and, and Rainer having it. It's it's changed the timeline, I think, a lot there. Uh, but they probably still do need another premium piece or two. Um, you know, it could be at a forward or even a net. Even though Kosa's not having the best year right now, you know, again, some players Evans having a good year. His he's not so much. Things can balance out over time. Um, yeah, I would say like I said, they're close, but they probably still need another one or two really premium assets to, to put over the top. And I will just simply co-sign that. I think you're spot on. I, I think a center is ideal because center is the most valuable to me. I mean, yes. I mean center and D, you can go either way, but, but I think center is the most valuable position on a roster um, because and, of how many you need. And yeah, go ahead. And, and they have the two D in Edmonton and Cider. Obviously, Edmonton's not in the NHL yet, but they look like at least in Cider they have that one. Edmonton looks like he's on the on a strong path to becoming at least a top four defenseman. I don't want to say he's for sure being a top pair, but he looks like he could be a top four NHL defenseman. Um, just given you don't have the young center, I mean, I like Valeno. I think he's. I, I watched one of the Grand Rapids games the other day. I thought he actually was, was decent in that game, but um, that. That it, it's the it's a glaring uh, need, and we've talked about it often on this show for that reason. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it's the kind of thing where you, you're deciding. They signed Pew Suter, who I think is a really good center, but I just don't know on a contender if he can reasonably be a two. I think on a contender, you're hoping he's your JG Pajot, Yanni Gord type uh, third line center. Um, sure, but you know, yeah, I, I think basically the point is if you can get the center, you're doing the center. But if you go and come out of this draft and you were able to come out with whether it's one of the guys that he mentioned, Savoy Geeky. Or if you can get someone like Yuri Slavkovsky to fall to you or something, Brad Lambert, if, if you think he's, whether you think he's a center or a wing, if, if you get a guy like that and they become a top echelon player, you, your odds are much better. It doesn't have to be a center. Right. Because I think some scouts would debate whether any of those guys other than Geeky are going to yes. be AHL centers. So. Correct. Uh, yep. I think that's all. But you can make it, but I'm saying you can make the pick with confidence because if they're a center, great. And if they're not, yep. that's still okay. Yeah. Yep. Still dynamic players, hopefully. All right, moving on. Uh, Devils Insiders, why didn't the Devils take Makar at one? I could answer that question in terms of just like, you know, he was a junior A defenseman and um, you know, Heeshear and Patrick were having excellent CHL seasons and Heeshear had the great world junior and, and all those things. Um, but I think there's more of this question. I think he was referencing, because I've seen this guy in my mentions before, um, I think he was referencing the fact that I, in my, when I was working at ESPN in 2000, summer 2017, I put in my mock draft that I was had the Devils taking Makar at one. Obviously, that was wrong, and the Devils fans made mocked me mercilessly um, <laughs> for right after right after that happened. Although less so recently, um, but uh, yeah. So I guess he's answering like you know why did I 
say that they were going to take him, and, and, and why didn't they? So uh, I remember in the spring-summer of, of that season, um, the rumors really started percolating when Ray Shero, then the GM of the Devils, was spotted at an AJHL game watching Bacar. Um, I don't have to... I don't think it's a big observation that general managers of NHL teams don't pop up at, at junior B games um, in Canada, uh, particularly at the, at the AJHL, you know, BCHL is kind of closer to the like, where the Canucks play and stuff, stuff like that. Um, so that's when things started to really percolate there. And I started hearing from a couple of people that they were, that, that he was among the players that they were considering a one Um uh, and I, and I'm not going to answer this question fully because I really don't know precisely what happened at the end that made them go with Heeshear instead of Makar. Um, I don't know if somebody got vetoed or something along those lines. I, I can't sit. I've heard rumors, but I don't want to spread rumors of, of exactly what happened. Um, but I can't say what I do know is that I do know there was significant interest, uh, and uh, just ended up not happening. All right. Uh, Sappho's Crushers wants an NHL comp for Jake Sanderson. And he says, thanks. We appreciate that. Uh, you're welcome. Uh, the, the one, I had somebody give me this comp a couple of weeks ago that I actually like. Um, Jacob Slade in Carolina. Yeah, I, and I, I, I think that's a good one too. The other one who I've thought of for him is maybe a better skating Devon Taves. Yeah, I don't know Taves' game well enough. Uh, for that, I could see maybe even like a slightly bigger, like Charlie McAvoy. Yep. Um, all would be great outcomes for Ottawa. I, mean, I don't think Senators fans are sitting here saying, geez, you're really underselling him. <laughs> yeah, but I think what we're talking about with all of those guys is they're all two way players who are, uh, you know, can bring offense maybe more through their aggressiveness and their smarts than through like pure skill. Um, but all of them are going to help you on offense. All of them are going to be really good two-way stoppers. And all of them, most importantly, are top pair and most of them number one defensemen. Yep. Just great, you know, great skaters, competitive, uh, all-around guys. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Ottawa got a good one there. Rebels Anonymous, how does, the Ana- how does Anaheim thread the needle this deadline between rewarding their guys for a great half of the season and being smart about their upcoming UFAs? I think they're talking about like Hampus Lindholm, that kind of situation. And Josh Manson. and Yes. Uh, yeah. This is a tough question because I think when you talk to people in the National Hockey League, they would say it's more complicated than typically what's publicly portrayed where it's just about either you're in it or you're selling everything because there is the players that are still going to be left there and the message for them of like, wow, you guys worked so hard. You exceeded expectations. You've done. You've made yourself competitive and into a playoff race, and now we're just going to take two great players and ship them away, pretty much. And that, and with that, our playoff chances. Because um, I think cultures of winning and cultures of losing to NHL people I talk to are are big things. Um, that being said, if you're if you're Pat Verbeek, you need to look out for the best short term, but also long term interests of the organization. So I think you have to, now that they have the GM in place, you've got to be very real with Manson and particularly Lindholm and make your best faith offer to try and extend them. Um, you know, not like come and come, don't be cheap. Like, you know, make, you know, a reasonable market offer um, with, with how you think they should be valued. And if they say they don't want to sign and they got to test the market, then you might be forced into doing what's best for the Anaheim Ducks. But I, mean, I I also think if you're Hampus Lindholm and Josh Manson looking at this team, the team might look different to you than it did six months ago. I mean, you you look at the year Trevor Zegers is having, you look at the year Jamie Drysdale is having. He's not in the Calder Trophy race, but he looks like a really good player for a 19 year old defenseman. Um, you look at what Mason McTavish looks like, and you'll see him at the Olympics now. And you know, I I think there's there's something exciting going on in Anaheim right now. So I wouldn't be surprised if Lindholm or Manson looked at the team and said, you know, maybe I would entertain an extension instead of testing the market. Yeah, and I think that's the key is that if, if they're not extended by the deadline, I think if you're Pat Verbeek, you have to really strongly consider offers. Really the week of the deadline is when I think the rubber meets the road there. Um, Lindholm in particular is the one who I would be making the, the best offer that I could right now. Manson at 30, like I think it's a little fairer to – sure. 
you know, you're not maybe as, you know, hard line to, to keep him, although he's been there for so long. Um, but I think if you're in Heim, you, you can't pass the deadline without them extended and have them still on your roster. I think that's a, that puts you in a really precarious spot going into the off season. Yep. I think I, I agree. All right. Uh, I think this is a really good one from Alex Gagnon. Uh, Lane Hudson is arguably the most dynamic defenseman in this draft. We can debate that or not, but, but what are the reasons you excluded him from your top 32? Is it just size related? What are the main concerns you have about his game? Cause this is a player who coming out of the U18 worlds last year, there was a lot of buzz about despite that dreaded five, eight for a defenseman. Yeah. Um, and I don't think his claim of him being the most dynamic defenseman is that off. I probably would rephrase it. He's the most purely like skilled player yeah. in the draft, at least on defense. I mean, his his combination of of hands and vision are are really Feet. high end. Well, well, that's that's the issue. It is, I'll get to it. It is the the reason why he's not in my first round or most scouts' first round is is the five eight frame and not an amazing skater for that size. I don't think he's a bad skater. I think he's a you know solid skater, but it's not tremendous feat for a guy that's like he doesn't skate like Eric Brandstrom, for example, who is in and out in the lineup right now for for Ottawa. Um, and, and he's not, and he's actually bigger uh, than Hudson. Um, so I think those are the good concerns. I had someone I was talking to a scout about him a couple of days ago, and I like the line he uses. I love the idea of Lane Hudson more than I like. Uh, the idea of actually picking him with a with a high with a high pick, um, and I think that's a, there's just there's not that many five eight defensemen in the National Hockey. You know, there's definitely, and if you're not like an elite skater, it's like geez, like where do you play in our lineup? Like you're not definitely not killing any penalties for us. Um, we're going to be we're going to be scared like shitless if if you go out there and there's any good player on on the ice against you. You have to be on a power play and used in a very specific way. Um, you know. It's just because of the team he plays on, the NTDP, the Adam Fox comparisons come up often, um, which I think would obviously are extremely aggressive um, because one, there's like a two, three inch difference. Um, and Fox is you know one of the most skilled players in the National Hockey League. Uh, but I think there would be a point in the draft for me if I was drafting, whether it's the second round, probably a little bit later than that, like maybe early second, maybe like once you get to like the 40 to 50 range or later that he was still there for me, uh, I would start to get rather interested in the gamble, but realizing that there are very few players in the NHL who look like him. Can we dig it on the feet? Cause I think I like him more than you do. I think I, I think I like the edges. I think he pivots. Well, I think all this stuff plays up with the sense. Yeah. The edges are very good is why his, you know, his offensive blue line work is very good. He makes all these, like, these like, cute little fakes. He, Makes guys miss. He kind of dances the blue line very well, but he doesn't have, I would say, the premium mobility, the premium speed uh, that you would want, whether it's for bringing pucks up the ice or being able to gap control guys. I don't think his defending is bad at the junior level. I think he's actually a decent defender at the junior level. Um, but the question is going to be as he goes to play versus uh, guys who are 6'1", 200 pounds every night. How, how is that defending an affair? So it's the feet defending the rush kind of thing because knowing you probably can't out physical somebody more so than walking the line, which I think is where maybe I get tantalized. Yeah, his, he's I mean his power play ability is incredible. Yeah, when he's inside the offensive zone, he's a he's a he's a dynamic player. But uh, feet in transition, size, those are going to be those are major issues. Which is why almost every scout I talk to does not have him in the first round. All right. Very fair. Uh, ben Hurdle, do you feel the Wild are the real deal this year? And if so, why don't they get national respect? They don't get national respect? They have Michael Russo covering them. <laughs> <laughs> I like, think Kirill got a little bit of national respect last year in the form of a pretty heavy statue. Yeah. Well, yeah they, they get respect. Come on. Like, I mean, I mean, what, they're not what, in what, the tier of Tampa, Colorado, Florida. I'll say that. Maybe even Carolina. But they're not too far behind that. Were they just like on like a big nationally broadcasted game a couple of weeks ago? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean for sure, but but I think his point is like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, should yeah, the Wild saying. be talked about as more of a contender than maybe they're in right now? So we we kind of mentioned this with the Detroit conversation. We kind of harken this back. Um, can you win a Stanley Cup without superstar centers? Uh, it's very rare. History says it's very rare to do. If if it happens really ever, I mean Vegas was pretty close a couple years ago, and I think that's probably the concern with with Minnesota, with in terms of discussing them in the same lights of Carolina, Florida, Florida, Colorado, Tampa Bay, 
is, you know, I, I think I think both Joel Erickson Eck and Ryan Hartman have exceeded by leaps and bounds any reasonable expectation they had when they were prospects. They have been both so good for the wild this season and look like really good setters. Guys who are you know, major assets definitely could be considered second line centers, maybe even like low end first line centers, depending on your perspective. But, you know, can they match up with Nathan McKinnon? Can they match up with Jack Eichel even? You know, we'll see how Vegas looks when, 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 he, when he comes back. Um, you know, those are, that for me would keep them out of that range. Yeah, I think what you have there is kind of if you if you look at Tampa, and I know Stamkos at one point is center, but he's played a lot of wing for them as well. Sure. Like guys who are maybe more equivalent to an Anthony Sorelli than a Braden Point. And if I think Minnesota has, you know, the the possibility that whether it's trading for somebody or maybe they maybe they hope Marco Rossi can stick at, at center and, and be that guy for them. But that is the main question yeah. with their team. And maybe a little bit in net still too, I would say. I was talking with with Russo actually today about Rossi. I mean and here's the issue with Rossi thinking about whether he'll be like that one center or something like that is. Um, I was looking about the, the looking this up the other day. You know, there's only there's really small number of centers in the, in the National Hockey League yeah. who, are, who are who are that small. I think the, the amount who are five ten or under are Jack Hughes, Vincent Trocheck, and Braden Point. And I'm not sure I'm forgetting anybody else. Uh, in in terms of very top of the line guys, I think that's right. You know, so. And, and he's smaller than all three of them, um, so I so like, I lo- I love Rossi. He's a great prospect, but but the odds are against him being a first line center, especially when he doesn't have those lightning feet. Exactly, exactly. Like, you know, I, could he be a second line center? Sure. Could he, could he be a first line wing? Sure. But uh, but those but those are the questions. Yeah. Um, decor though, I mean, decor's you know up there with some of those contenders that we've talked about the yeah. carolinas the floridas yep very good Kalen Addison's also looked very good providing depth they have great depth also in the junior ranks in, ter- in terms of in terms of the defense it's a great team um you know you know they i think they you know Kaprizov obviously has brought that team to life over the last 2 years they're they're I'm not disputing that they are actually are a contender but whether they're in the top echelon probably not all right uh, how about MVP? How many potential one C's do you see in this draft? I think this goes right back to the Detroit conversation we were having earlier. Um, right. And maybe Cooley. And I think in terms of the caliber, one C is a broad way to describe, uh, things. I think if you talk to NHL people, there's a difference between a 1C who's among the top 15 centers in the league and a 1C who's probably among like the 16 to 32nd best centers in the league. I think Wright in his best years can be among like, probably not going to be a top five center in the league, but I think he could kind of sit around that 10th to 20th best center in the league. Um, and I think for, uh, for Cooley, I view him as the guy who could be more like in the 20 to 30th best center in the league. Um, you know, I, I think of him, you know, he doesn't play in the NHL anymore. Do you remember like Thomas Placanic when he was with Montreal? Sure. Like he reminds me a lot of Placanic as like, you know, you like he was a first line center in Montreal. He played 20 minutes a night, scored a lot of points, played all situations, but was never considered like among like the top echelon centers in the league. Like I can see Cooley being that, uh, in terms of the other options, like I, I have a hard time putting Geeky as a 1C given his scoring this year, even though I love the player. I think he's a top prospect. Um, and Savoy, for the same reason we discussed with Rossi, being a 5'9 guy, hard to stamp him as a 1C despite the incredible year he's having um, without like special, special other dimensions. Yep, I think that's fair. So, so two, and then you got some guys who you know you can still be really good Upper lineup yeah, players, yeah. whether it's at center or somewhere yeah, else. Yeah. Slavkovsky is listed as a center, but he's a wing. Like yeah. Being- yep. I think you're safe in saying that. All right. Final one is from Mark Lemke. Uh, any exciting prospects from non-traditional hockey countries? I- I'm assuming here, I mean, a lot of the, you know, there's really no country who's like, oh, there's like a, an amazing, uh, sure. I don't know here, you know, Australian prospect in this draft, but non non top five or six. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a, probably three that come to mind. Obviously, Marco Casper, first round potential yep. pick, uh, playing with Rogo in the SHL. Austrian played at the World Juniors for Austria, uh, played from the last two World Juniors actually. 
um, with good skating skill, size, compete. Um, guy I know teams are excited about. Chance to be a top three line four in the National Hockey League. Um, I do expect he'll go in the first round. Another Austrian, uh, Vincenz Rohrer. I definitely butchered that name. Um, but he plays in Ottawa and the OHL. Also played at the World Juniors. Among the youngest players in the draft. A high skill player. Uh, not that big. Uh, I would expect he'd be like a mid-round pick if the draft was held, held today. Uh, and the one of the more fascinating prospects, and they're not, they're slowly becoming a more of a traditional hockey nation right now, but, but it's a German, uh, Julian Lutz. Um, intriguing prospect because of the talent. He is 6'2", um, he can skate very well, and he's a very skilled player. Uh, when I remember like watching him at the U18 Worlds in Dallas last year, and he looked really intriguing. Scouts were getting kind of excited about him. Um, just because, just because of the talent, uh, comes into the year, uh, does it, it's just okay at the Holinka Gretzky. Um, and then he gets injured and it's been a significant injury. He has not played all season. Talking to people, there's no idea when he's going to come back. Um, kind of a little, little bit of a wild card there. You got, you got this German playing in Germany, hasn't played at all this season, but really talented. So I think I think Lutz is going to be a really interesting one to see what happens with him in the draft. I think he's been ranked kind of in like the second and third round range when I've seen him. Yeah, play. I have a hard time personally seeing him going that high, uh, given given that he hasn't played at all this season. Um, but uh, I think on talent, he's in that mix for sure. All right, that is going to do it for us. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Subscribe to the Athletic Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. You can get all the bonus content from our entire network. It's going to start with a 30-day free trial and then just 99 cents a month after that. And right now, annual subscriptions to The Athletic are just $3.99 a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. Talk to you soon. Thanks.